0: Don't tell anyone I'm free. Don't tell
1: anyone I'm free. Hello and welcome to BSD Talk number 38. It's the 3rd of May, 2006. Just going to jump straight to the interview. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Eric Raymond, and I'd like to thank you very much for coming onto the podcast and speaking with us, and I'd just like to give you a chance to introduce yourself and maybe give a brief description of what you do.
0: Hi, I'm Eric Raymond, and I run around making trouble. I've been running around making trouble for a long time. I'm probably best known for having written a paper called The Cathedral and the Bazaar, in which I laid out the basic theory and a lot of the propaganda for what is now known as open source development.
1: All right, you've also written some software too, I guess, Fetchmail and some other recent books like The Art of Unix Programming, correct?
0: Uh, At last count, I was the maintainer on 39 projects and 14 frequently asked questions documents.
1: I guess if we were trying to pick a date, when did you get started in open source software?
0: That is a question of definition because I've been involved with the open source culture since long before it had a name or self-consciousness or any of the attributes it has today. Uh, You could take it back to the late 70s, I suppose.
1: So a while, I guess, would would work as an answer. (laughs) I guess one question uh, I have is regarding the cathedral and the bazaar, just your views on how the whole software and programming landscape and maybe business climate has changed since you originally released the cathedral and the bazaar?
0: Oh, it's been huge. Uh, I think we passed a real tipping point in 2003 or then about. We're no longer struggling to make our voice heard uh, anymore. Uh, I think the proposition that distributed peer review leads to better software is pretty widely accepted now, and it's the people who are opposing that model that are on the defensive recently. So that's one big change. Related to that is the fact that venture capitalists are used to funding firms that use open source now, so it's not commercially weird anymore either.
1: And uh, since the release of uh, Netscape in response to, or, you know, partially due to the cathedral and the bazaar and and the ideas that it proposed, do you think that we're going to move towards almost a completely open source model of software development? Is that what you're hoping for? Or do you think it will be a a strange mix or something completely different?
0: I still think we're going to reach a market equilibrium that's about 95% open source. I think there is still an economic niche for closed source, but I think it will be the exception case rather than the rule.
1: Well, speaking of software then, I was just wondering what some of your recent software projects were that people might be interested in.
0: The two things I've been working on the most are probably GPSD, which is a service daemon for monitoring GPSs attached to Linux machines, and a project called DockLifter, which is a converter that takes things in old Unix formats, trough uh, formats such as MS, and so forth, and list them into XML.
1: The GPSD, I know that when I looked at that, uh, I noticed that you licensed it under the BSD license, which is one of the uh, reasons I thought about interviewing you for this podcast. So I didn't know if you wanted to speak a little bit about your choice of the BSD license and why you think it's a benefit to that project.
0: Sure. Uh, You may know that that project was originally licensed under, under GPL, I made the decision to try to move it to BSD when it developed the client-side libraries to be linked into client applications. And I moved to the BSD because I didn't want the GPL's infectiousness property. I thought it would scare too many people away. My developers agreed with me, so we changed the
1: license. And how well is GPSD working as an application for GPS units?
0: We've got lots of people using it in the field. We've got people doing ship navigation with it, other people doing high-precision agronomy, stuff like that. So, yeah, it's being deployed out there.
1: What was the um, traditional method of reading from GPS units before uh, you started working on GPSD?
0: A lot of people wrote their own code for cracking the odd protocol that most GPSs report in, NMEA0813. Unfortunately... Uh, a significant number of gpss actually report in weird vendor binary protocols one of the objectives of gpsd was to hide all these differences uh and the i think probably the single most important thing that i added to it was the ability to essentially automatically recognize different gps types so that you don't actually have to configure anything you just Plug a GPS in. A hot plug script wakes up the demon. The demon goes through a recognition state machine, and figures out what kind of GPS it's talking to, and just copes.
1: Do you see vendors gravitating towards a standard way of communicating with GPSs, or do you think they're still going their own way?
0: No, it's still very heavily balkanized. In fact, there have been steps backward recently. Uh, Garmin announced that it was going to stop supporting NMEA and its GPSs, and it's one of the major vendors. But it doesn't matter, because at this point, the recognition machinery in GPSD is good enough that uh, all that detail can be hidden.
1: Now, you mentioned um, some facilities like Hotplug, and those are, uh, I guess, Linux-specific. Are you aware of people porting GPSD to other operating systems?
0: I believe it has, in fact, been ported to the BSDs, but I don't have any uh, use scenarios for it there. I don't actually know what people are doing.
1: Also, you mentioned... A little bit in your description of the licensing that you thought the viral nature of the GPL might scare people off. And uh, what are your thoughts on general on um, the different licensing options, which ones you prefer, uh, and where you think they're going?
0: Well, I've ne- never actually been a huge fan of infectious licensing. Um, I've used the GPL because, well, everybody else does. And I didn't feel bad about using it for standalone projects where it was very unlikely anybody would want to reuse that code in a library or anything. But Like a lot of people in the Linux community, I'm pragmatic about this. I have generally used BSD for things that were linkable libraries so that anyone could use it, whether open source software or closed source software, commercial, non-commercial. I really didn't want to restrict usage that way. One of the ways in which my thinking has evolved in the last couple of years is I now think that I'm balanced. GPL is probably more trouble than it's worth. That may not have been true 10, 15 years ago, but that's my evaluation now.
1: Now, do you think uh, the commercial success of Linux and GPL software is specific to the GPL licensing, or do you think it's mostly just people following the crowd?
0: No, I think most of the success comes from the power of the distributed peer review effect. I think that's fairly orthogonal to the licensing.
1: Do you feel that uh, large companies would be reluctant to release their code under the BSD license because their competitors could take their intellectual property, if you want to call it that, and uh, close it up? It depends on what
0: their business objective is. Sometimes they release open source code in an attempt to disrupt the market, and when that happens, often they'll release it under BSD because what they want is a lot of usage. If they want to disrupt a specific competitor, then GPL could be a better choice.
1: And how about your general use of computers? I always like to ask the guests what they're using on their desktops and servers and other computing devices.
0: Well, let's see. At the moment, I'm running Fedora Core 5. Uh, I use GNOME as my window manager, but I'm not religiously attached to it. I've contemplated switching to KDE just because KMail is really cool. Uh, I use an IBM ThinkPad X40 laptop. I use a custom-built Dual AMD processor desktop system. What else do you want to know?
1: (laughs) Well, I guess your development environment, which I'm assuming is Emacs.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Emacs all the way. I've actually written substantial portions of uh, Emacs Lisp libraries. If you've ever used the symbolic debugger mode or the version control front end, that was my code.
1: So with some of your interest in the BSD license for software, have you... Played around with the BSD operating systems recently?
0: One thing that is not widely known, although I'm strongly associated with Linux these days, most of my Unix experience was actually with BSD, with, of all things, BSD 4.1. So uh, I'm more or less from BSD land originally.
1: Why did you move over to Linux on the desktop?
0: Ah, no, this is where your BSD fans are not going to be so pleased. (laughs) It's because I think the social machine of Linux has a huge advantage over the social machine of BSD. The fertile chaos that is the Linux community, I think, will inevitably outpace the more controlled style of development that we see in BSD
1: land. I guess they'll produce different tools for different people, and that's always been my philosophy.
0: There's something more going on there. It's interesting that the, the BSD community is so prone to fragmentation, uh, and the Linux community is not. And I think the reason for that is precisely the, we can do it all in one make property that the BSD people are so proud of. That means that if you disagree with a policy choice made by a distribution, you more or less have to go off and start your own distribution, whereas in, in Linux land, things are much more loosely coupled, so there's less fragmentation.
1: And I guess we should clarify for the listeners uh, that when we talk about Linux, we're talking about the kernel. Yeah. And one could argue that, you know, in Linux land, the distributions are are varied, uh, and there's a, a, a million of them.
0: This phenomenon also applies to user land. Because people can make their own choices about user land, nobody really has to break a particular set of distribution utilities in Linux the way you do in BSB land, I mean, make in one production doesn't work anymore if you change anything in user land.
1: So were you to give a prescription to the BSDs, what would it be?
0: Loosen up, dudes. (laughs) Emulate what the the Linux people are doing. I know it looks messy, but it works better.
1: Do you feel that large companies such as IBM or commercial Linux distributions like Red Hat uh, or Novell are an asset, or do you view them with suspicion?
0: Huge asset. One of the basic rules about changing the world is if you want to change the world, you have to co opt people who can write large checks. The power and the leverage that having allies with lots of money gives you, that's good.
1: Yeah, I guess developers can't eat email, so they gotta survive right. on something else. Do you feel that the general computing population gets the message of open source, or do you think a more pragmatic view of computing is really what's going to continue to win out?
0: I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. I run into a lot of knowledge about what open source is and why it's interesting among the brighter segment of the population, people who actually think about the world around them. How much that applies to computer users in general, I don't know. I have a feeling a lot of them are basically just email and browser users who are responding to lower prices more than than anything
1: else. And I know that you've um, had some pretty strong uh, opinions in the past around uh, usability. We've done a
0: crappy job at it so far. We need to fix that.
1: Why do you think we haven't done a good job? I
0: think it's historical baggage, mostly. The open source community gets most of its historical inheritance, its engineering tradition, from the Unix community. And the distinguishing feature of the Unix community is it gets everything right except UI.
1: I've always thought that uh, in a certain sense, the open source operating systems like BSD and Linux were actually done or complete a long time ago in their original goal of emulating Unix, the original command line Unix. And I figure that kind of gave a, a great model for them to measure themselves to, self against. But, but recently, as we've tried to branch out into kind of new territory, there wasn't an exact model that we were all trying to emulate. And so we ended up with uh, a little bit of a crazy uh, user interface situation.
0: Yes, and this is why one of the things that I say to people these days is forget Windows. The really threatening competition for pure open source operating systems right now is Mac OS X. And why is that? It's because it has co-opted all the technical advantages of being Unix-based, and it has co-opted the advantages of sort of being halfway open source-based And on top of that, it has a really pretty GUI. We better learn from this. We better learn to do better, or we're going to find that it's what's eating our lunch down the road.
1: Have you also looked at uh, open Solaris?
0: No, not very much. I have some Solaris experience from the 1980s, but I haven't looked at newer versions much. strikes me as sort of a me too.
1: Yeah, I think there's been a lot of uh, switching back and forth within Sun Microsystems around what they really want to do.
0: Yeah, well, when they open source Java, then I'll get
1: interested. (laughs) What's your favorite programming language or favorite languages?
0: Python, these days. I have huge amounts of experience in C, but I rigorously avoid C for new projects nowadays. Machines are powerful enough now that we can afford to throw away all the cycles we like on things like automated memory management and so forth, so it just doesn't make sense to write at the level of C anymore. So I like the modern scripting uh, languages in general, And of all of them, uh, to my taste, the the cleanest one and the most elegant one is Python.
1: Do you think the open source community will rally around something like Python as, I guess, the equivalent of vb.net in the Windows world?
0: I don't know. I'm not actually that familiar with the position of vb.net in the Windows world because I don't pay attention to Windows. I do know that in the last five years, Python has been making huge headway to the point where it basically has driven TCL to extinction, oddly enough, and, and is now competitive with Perl in the size of its community and the variety of its libraries. Now, the interesting thing is there's something sneaking up on Python. There are a lot of people now who are enthusiastic about Ruby and the way that people were enthusiastic about Python in the early days. So uh, pi- the Python community is looking over
1: its shoulder, too. Yeah, I wonder whether um, the excitement around Ruby is primarily on the web, Ruby on Rails side, or whether people are also using it a lot as a general-purpose language?
0: I hear from both constituencies, so I think there's enthusiasm for the language. I'd say I, I that Ruby is the cutting edge of that community in the same way that, well, Python-based CGI used to be the cutting edge of Python enthusiasm.
1: All right, well, are there any other topics that you, you would be interested in covering today?
0: Um, <laughs> there are so many. There's a whole world out there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think that's that's probably pretty good.
0: Okay. Well, have fun with it.
1: All right. Thank you, and let's hope uh, GPSD keeps running. <laughs> Bye. And thank you for your time. All right. Bye-bye. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or get to the show archives, you can reach it at bsdtalk.blogspot.com, or if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com.